Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm your co-host, Orion. With me is host, Peter Willis. We talk Bible on this show. This episode, chapter two, Book of Romans. Let's do this. <laughs> anyway, um, so. well, good to see you again. Good to see you again. Uh, we're, we're back again. Uh, we're the second installment in Paul's epistle or letter to the Romans. Uh, last time we went uh, pretty strong through a background of the book and chapter one. And chapter one, uh, mostly for review, but also because chapter two opens with therefore. And the classic church cliche is anytime you see therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. Thank you. Exactly. Which I think it's overplayed, but at the same time, it's important to remember that it's following on or building on an earlier point. And remembering that we addressed last time, too, that Romans is this book that continues to build on itself over and over and over again. And two will make so much more sense in understanding one. And in one, Paul talks about God being evident in everything. He's, he's evident in all creation so that people are without excuse. It's uh, roughly verse, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to get to it, and I can't find it now, but it's it's in the 20s anyway. Uh, verse 20, actually, of chapter 1 of Romans says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made, so that people are without excuse. And it, he goes on to say, because people didn't acknowledge God, because they didn't give thanks to God, he just turns them over to everything. And it lists off all sorts of sins. And we talked last time about how people get caught up on the the homosexuality piece. But in that same vein, he talks about liars and deceivers and kids are disobedient to their parents. And he, he just basically hits all sin. And he goes, um, and he ends chapter one with, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And you you get left with, oh, those are terrible people. All, you know, liars and disobedient to their parents and all this stuff. They're awful. And, and not only do they do these things, they approve of those who practice them. And you get this righteous indignation. And Paul opens chapter 2, verse 1, and he goes, You, therefore, and he's talking to the folks, the believers at the church in Rome, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So he ends chapter 1 with this list of these nasty, horrible, awful sins that we're all supposed to be um, set against and have this righteous indignation towards. In in verse 1 of chapter 2, he goes, and you, you pass judgment on these people. It's ridiculous because you're doing the same stuff. We're all... Messed up, ugly sinners doing messed up, ugly sins. We're all people that at some point in our lives, and I think at regular points in our lives, stop acknowledging God. Like any time we sin, we're, we're doing something against God. There's some miss with God in our lives. I had a thought today. It's funny that you... I mean, it's not so funny because we're going into a Bible study and stuff's going to come up. But uh, it's just funny. I was thinking today at the... At the times that I do, um, and 
I don't want to say like it's a regular interval. Uh, it's obviously uh, not, or maybe not obvious if you don't know me, but um, it's sin creeps in. This is a this is a problem, right? This is a this is a flesh problem. I mean, it's, it's not, not just me, right? Okay, no. so uh, so so there is this tendency for the flesh gravitates towards sin. It wants to be in rebellion to God. You're getting so, like chapter seven ish on me. So okay, be I'm not trying to. Not no, trying to. <laughs> go ahead. So, but it, but it's at these times that where like even the mind goes towards a sin, where it really what's really happen and kind of is um maybe there is no god and i think maybe this is this is worth entertaining that thought and and it's when you do sin i think that you you have this uh i don't even know how to form this into words exactly when you sin it's like saying there is no god and he and therefore there is no consequence for for this behavior but to the christian the, the believer in God, when they come back to that realization, what have I done? And then that's what drives repentance, that, that, uh, that shame. God, God blesses us with the feeling of shame so that we can come back to him. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, that's kind of heavy stuff. I just, so today's takeaway is God blesses us with shame. Thank you, God. That's oh, close. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. No, but it's, it's really true, and it's, it's uncomfortable to say out loud that when we sin, we're almost— denying God yeah. or denying Christ again, you know, like Peter in the right. in the courtyard. I mean, we're, you know, but um, the truth is, that's exactly what it is. Uh, Romans 1 says it, that, you know, because we refuse to acknowledge God or give thanks to him, he just turns us over to this stuff. And every time we turn back to that stuff, it's, uh, it's you know, it starts with, like you said, with that thought of, I kind of want to do this thing, you know, and then we take it to wherever we take it to and that's why I think the Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, over and over again, reminds us to um, seek God, to seek after Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus says it Himself. And I joke that the, you know, in some Bibles, they're in the red letters, you know, where Jesus mm-hmm. is talking. You, you know, those are the right words. Those are if you're going to take the Bible, at least the red letters. And He says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things." And He lists off the stuff will be added to you. It starts with seeking him. Jesus says time and again to his, his disciples, especially in the book of John, follow me, follow me, follow me. And uh, when we don't, that's where we get drug into all sorts of mess. Yeah, that following needs to be continuous. It's not up to a point and then, okay, I, you you take it from here. Yeah. You got to keep going. Yeah, because what we guilty of is, uh, hang on, Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll handle this myself. And that's where we get into trouble every time. Whether we're talking about spiritual things or non-spiritual things, the moment we stop acknowledging God is the moment we get, we get into all kinds of mess. Yeah, Fast. It's bad. Oh, so we're, we got verse 1 out of the way. All right. <laughs> verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Yes. <laughs> kind of? Or he keeps going, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Mm. Oh, man. 
Because so often for us when we sin and there's no consequence, we're like, all right, this is one I can get away with. And Paul goes, you dummy. Don't you know that God not delivering you an immediate bolt of lightning is just him putting his arm around you and going, come on, man, you can do better than this. I've seen you do better than this. You are capable of so much more than this. But instead we're like, ha ha, got away with it again. Like mm. it's, it's the human condition from the beginning of time. Like God comes to Adam in the garden and he goes, who told you you were naked? And Adam's like, uh, the woman you gave me, she, she gave me some fruit. Fast forward a few years later. God's talking to Cain, and he goes, where's your brother? Cain goes, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. God's like, oh, man, I know where he is. I know what you did. His blood's crying to me from the ground. Like, we think we snuck it past God because the moment we did it, we didn't get struck down. But it's just God trying to drag us back into him. Those questions he asked of, like, Adam, of Cain, of, you know, even with David, uh, uh when um, the prophet comes to him about a sin with Bathsheba, he's just trying to draw us back to him. This whole plan of salvation from the fall to to Calvary and even moving forward in our own lives is God trying to draw, draw us back to him. And so, verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Hebrews 9 talks about a man is destined to die once and after that he's to face judgment. Verse 27 of Hebrews 9, if you're looking for it, it's the truth of our lives. There's coming a point where we face the judgment of God. Verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. I want to pause here because I want you to see something because it's real easy to take, oh, 6 through 11 all by themselves out of context. And it's remember, we got to remember to look at the totality of Scripture or Scripture in light of Scripture. Because here it says, verse 7, though to those who... By persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. If you base your whole salvation theology off of that, it sounds a lot like works. It sounds a lot like if I do good and I seek to give honor and glory to God, I'm in. Just because I want immortality, I'm going to get immortality. But when you look at it under the totality of the book of Romans, Paul's setting up a thing here of if you do good, you're going to get in, and he's getting to nobody does good. There is no one righteous, no, not even one. And so this is a great place to highlight the danger of building a theology on one or two scriptures, whatever they may be and whatever they're in regards to, because he's going to get to there's no one righteous. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's, He's getting to it. 
If you could never sin in your life, there's no guilt. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to separate you from God. You're absolutely right. Give it a shot and let me know how it works out. But odds are everybody listening, all of you, have sinned already. So we've all messed up. I joked about it with somebody recently of, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to go like 24 hours without sinning. I've tried before. I've gone, I'm going to go see if I can go 24 hours without sinning. I don't know that I've ever made it 10 minutes. 25 maybe on the outside, but not the big sins. It's not like I went out and robbed a bank or snatched a purse from a little old lady, but it's something. It's, It's even refusing to acknowledge God. It's whatever it might be. It's a, 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 what we call white lies or, you know, just my own thoughts get messed up and ugly Thoughts places. get you every time. You know, <laughs> yeah. My mind wanders pretty fast. Uh, now, if I could shut my brain off for 24 hours. Man. But see, then there's the verses that say, <laughs> he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. So Got me again. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to mess up. It's not an excuse, and and Paul's going to get to that even in Romans. Paul closes a lot of perceived loopholes in this book. Um, But yeah, it's not saying that if you do good forever or you do good for your life, you're going to get into heaven because you can't do good. At some point, you've done or are going to do bad. So please don't build your theology on it. So, um, And there's that that phrase we heard in chapter 1, and I want to address it again here in chapter 2, of first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It's not priority, it's chronology. Uh, God came first to the Jews and now to the Gentiles. We're all, we all have access. It's not, a, it's not a they're better than us or we're better than them. It's just chronology. So that being said, verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law that will be declared righteous. Verse 14, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they don't have the law. Remember here that Typically in these situations, we're talking about the law and Jews. It's the law. It's the law given. The law of Moses is how it frequently gets referred to. It's not just the Ten Commandments, the the Ten on the Stone Tablet. It's the law, the ceremonial washings, and you know what the temple's supposed to be made out of, or the tabernacle, and all the all the the law. You know, dig into Leviticus and and Deuteronomy sometime if you really want to know um, it. There's a lot there more than just the top 10. So uh, verse 15, or actually, yeah, verse 15. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences, conscious, you know what I mean. You can do it. I apparently can't. <laughs> also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Mm. He's saying that we all know right from wrong, whether it's been given to us on paper or not. We know, you know, right from wrong. This will take place on the day, he's talking about God's judgment. This will take place on the day when when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. That is such a neat phrase to have in the scripture because we talk about, uh, we love analogies and metaphors and stuff, but uh, saying that God looks at us through the filter of 
Jesus Christ or through the lens of Jesus Christ. But this, this right here in verse 16, that all this will take place when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. It's, it's got to put us through that, um, that view, but also that standard. Yeah. So do we measure up? No, but the blood. And I love, I'm so glad you brought that piece too, because the other piece that I keep keying on every time I've read this verse is God judges people's secrets. It's not just the sins that everybody's seen you do. Everybody knows about. They're out there in public. God's judging your secrets. The stuff you've never told anybody that nobody knows. God knows. It's like we were talking about earlier of, you know, you get away with it and you almost think, huh, God didn't see that. He saw it. He knows. Verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, or if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's, he's trying to draw this out because, uh, as I mentioned last time we were together, kind of an intro to this book, there's a rift in the Roman church between Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity. And the Gentiles are kind of lording it over the Gentile believers of, of we are so much better than you because we have the law and we know the truth of God and we've had this from the beginning and you're coming to it from the outside and you're going to have to catch up on some of this stuff. And Paul goes... You who've got the law, you know you shouldn't do these things. You shouldn't steal, but you're thieves. You shouldn't commit adultery, but you're an adulterer. You're robbing temples. You boast in the law, but you dishonor God by breaking the law. And he pulls out this Old Testament quote, and I don't have the reference right in front of me, but it's there, I promise, Of in verse 24. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We see it if you go through the Old Testament and some of the books of history, like uh, the books of Kings and Chronicles, and, and even in Genesis, you see these times where God's people were turned against God, and they go out to battle, and they lose because they go without God. And they're a laughingstock to the other nations. And God, uh, Paul says it here, he goes, it's been going on from the beginning of God's name is blasphemed. God's name is marginalized because if you're inability or your unwillingness to adhere to God's righteous decrees. And go ahead. I, I just I have a thought on and that's all good stuff. I mean it's good to it's good to bring to light. The this book written to believers, it's like it's like this should be read to unbelieving people as a warning but it's instead it's read to and written to believers uh, 
What's that? And what's that mean for us? And it means we're, you know, just like the start of this chapter, even of you who judge other people, you know, you're already there. You're, you're judging yourself because you're calling people out for some of the same stuff that you do. And it's, it's the truth as believers. We, we want that easy grace of, you know, I prayed my prayer and, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus, which doesn't exist in the Bible anywhere, but there it is. We say it anyway all the time. So I'm in. Now I get to do whatever I want because I'm under grace. I don't know that we ever have that conscious thought or it's not like we ever say it out loud to the right. mirror or the dashboard in the car or whatever, but it's the truth of how we live. And Paul goes, non-believers, they're sinning because they don't believe. You who know the truth. And you have, Paul will say it later in another chapter. He says, we have an obligation. Knowing the truth of God, we have an obligation to seek after God and to not be pulled back by this junk, this garbage. But yet, here we are. We're, we're almost 2,000 years past Paul, and we're still doing it. So this should be a powerful reminder to us and a warning uh, to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Ah, the wonderful reference. As I think that's theologically accurate. I agree. I, I think if you take a serious look at the book of Romans, especially these first few chapters, and I said it last time, of the first three, even partially into four, kind of, um, don't resolve real well. It's not like Paul's like, oh, everything's bad and you're bad people, but it's going to be okay. Like He doesn't get to okay really till about chapter four. Of, but he's trying to set up the good news. And so he's dragging everybody down to the same level. Believer, non-believer, Jewish believer, Gentile believer, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. We're all judgmental, unrighteous, lawbreakers. Even those of us who don't have the law, we've been breaking the law too. But even those who have the law have broken the law. It's all bad. And you're like, it should drive you, it should drive us as believers to a point of repentance, honestly, to being broken before God. If you read this and understand that it's not just talking about those people. It was real easy to do that with chapter 1 last week. It was those people. But chapter 2 goes, "Ah, if you think it's those people, guess what? It's you too. The classic, if you're pointing a finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you on your hand. It's the truth. And... We want to spend so much time pointing out where everybody else is wrong. We have those churches that want to hold up the signs of, you know, God hates this sin or God hates that sin. And we need to turn those signs around and write a note like on our mirror, on our steering wheel, on our car that says, God hates my sin. That's heavy stuff. The good news that he's going to get to in later chapters is, yeah, God hates your sin. But he is head over heels in love with you. Can we just skip to that part? I'd love to, but (laughs) it sounds so much better when you realize how bad it is. The good stuff gets really good. And and I've been saying for years now, I had this revelations far too often used. And probably plenty of you have already realized this. And maybe I was just an idiot. But I prayed a prayer on the playground in kindergarten of the give my heart to Jesus, ask him into my heart, the the whole thing that you do. Um, the story I tell, I went to Christian school for preschool through fifth grade. And in kindergarten, I was on the playground on one of those little um, 
metal. They were shaped like horses or elephants or whatever attached to a rather large spring that looked like they took off of somebody's truck. I'm familiar with these. You know these things. I'm on the thing doing my thing, and my last name starts with a W. I was usually the last kid on the, the roster in the class. Williams also. Uh, Same. So, you know, I, and I have this, yeah, I have I'm this, also a W. Yeah. I had this theory about those of us at the end of the alphabet being the ones that acted up the most in school because when they were calling roll in class, we knew we didn't need to pay attention until right towards the end. So we had <laughs> extra time to goof off. I haven't fleshed it out yet. I'm not asking Congress to commission a study and spend my tax dollars, but, but I got a theory. Anyway, back to the story. My kindergarten teacher comes to me on the rocking elephant the spring-loaded elephant, and she's got the the roll book, the attendant, the grade book, and everybody's name's got a check mark next to it, next to mine. And she asks, "Have I accepted Jesus yet?" No. Would you like to? Sure. I, I was five. I, my understanding of of who and what Jesus was, I feel like, was an authentic thing at the time. And I prayed my prayer and went back to rocking on my elephant. I'm pretty sure it was an elephant, but I don't know. And Kind of want to take a trip now to Southern California and figure it out. Although so you have a check mark next year. to your name, so it's all good, right? It was good. I was in. Okay. Fast forward 25 years later at 30, I got hit right between the eyes with how much God loved me. And um, it was a really interesting moment because I had actually been, I had done ministry. I had gone to Bible college. I had preached at churches in foreign countries. Well, one foreign country, Mexico. But anyway, I preached at a church in a foreign country. Sounds way better <laughs> until I qualify it. Like, I was barely across the border. I could see a McDonald's, but that's beside, it was a foreign country. Anyway, but at 30, I was in this little meeting in this little church southeast of Portland in Milwaukee, Oregon, and this guy was telling his story uh, about uh, addiction recovery. And he goes, you know what really broke my recovery wide open is when I realized that God loved me. And at 30 years old in that room, it hit me between the eyes. And I had this realization that this book from Genesis to Revelation is just this really deep love story of how totally enamored with us God is. And how from creation, he created Adam and Eve and wanted to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. And he comes down to do it and he realizes They've committed this act that separates them from him. They've, they've brought shame and sin into the world. And God goes, i got to put you out. I can't be a part of that. You're going to have to go. got to go. It's not me. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> not really what you want to hear from God, but it's the truth of it. And then from that point to the Gospels is God trying to find, not trying to find, because God already knows the answer. He's He's... he's trying to give man a way to reconcile. He's working it out. Yeah, he, he gives them the law. Follow me. Follow my law. Follow my ways. Seek me. And time and again, they're like, yeah, we can do this. And they get a little further down. And they go, ah, oh, we can't do this. And so God punishes them and then goes, and they're like, oh, God, we're so sorry. We see where we messed up. And he brings them back. And it's a little bit of time before they're away again back and away and this cycle and God goes there's a better way to do this you cannot get to me Mm -hmm. but I want you here so I in the form of Jesus am going to come to you and reconcile you myself because of your inability to reconcile yourself to me why because I want to hang out with you for how long how does forever sound Mm -hmm. that might be long enough 
I think that's long enough. And so that's where the story of Jesus comes in, and it's God trying to reconcile us to him all out of love. And so Paul's starting that story that Romans covers so well, but he's starting out with the, we are completely and utterly separated from God, and our ability on our own power to get back to him is zero. Even if we have the roadmap, i.e. the law. You're a Jew. You've been given the law. Guess what? At the time Romans was written, the law had been around for a couple thousand years. And no one had managed to follow it to a T. He goes, even you who got the law, you go, we have the roadmap to God. He goes, you're still, you've got the map and you're lost. The GPS said to turn right and you're like, nah, I know a shortcut. I'm going to go left. All of us. All right, back to the text. Uh, verse 24 ended with, as it's written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. I'd love to sit here and, and assume that everybody gets this reference, but just in case, let's lay it out. God makes this covenant with Abraham long time ago. He goes, you're going to be mine. I'm going to be yours. I'm going to give you descendants that outnumber the sands and the desert. I'm going to give you descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. Abraham's like, I got no kids. God's like, we're going to work that out. Don't worry about it. But as a sign of your covenant with me, circumcise yourself. I'm so glad that this was a covenant with Abraham and not with Peter. Not Peter of the Bible, Peter, me. (laughs) Because I'd probably get a little sideways right there. What do you mean circumcise myself? Cut some of that off. Nah, I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't even have any kids. I, I need to see something. Abraham's like, sure. Got it. Whew. And so from then on, the people of God, the Jewish people, Israel, as a covenant with God, they're circumcised on the eighth day. It's how it's done. It's been done from the beginning of time till now. I'm glad it's not on like the eighth year or the 38th oh, year. It's mercy. eighth day. Yeah, like I'm, I'm good. Abraham had to do it at 90 something. Not, not good. Not, not good at all. But anyway, that's circumcision. It was the outward sign of that covenant they had with God. And he goes, circumcision, again, verse 25, that outward expression or that outward sign of your covenant with God has no value if you, or has value, I'm sorry, if you observe the law. The outward sign of the covenant has value if you're doing what the covenant requires. But if you don't do what the covenant requires, or but if you break the law, you become as though you had no outward sign of the covenant in the first place. So then, if those who are not circumcised, if those who do not have the outward sign of the covenant still keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they're circumcised? If, you, if, you're, not, if you're not wearing the shirt that says, I'm a fan of the Dodgers. I'm throwing it out there. I probably made a lot of people mad and some other people like, yeah. I'm not a Dodger fan, just so you know. I lived in L.A. as a kid. I went to Dodger games, uh, but my little league team was the Padres, so I rooted for the Padres as a kid. As an adult, I don't root for either of them, so there you go. If you were excited uh, because I said your team of choice, good for you, but I I had no – I'll root for 
your team of choice. Insert your team here <laughs> if it makes you feel better. But honestly, I, I don't care that much. Um, but if I don't wear a shirt that says I'm a Dodgers fan, but I go to Dodger games and I cheer every time the Dodgers do something that's good, not bad, but do something <laughs> good. That's what Paul says here. He says, just because you don't have the outward sign of being a fan of God, but you do all the things that God requires, it, you, you look like a fan anyway, don't you? I, I hope that's a really good analogy for that. I, I felt I like, like it that. was. No, I think that's really oh, good. Yeah. good. I was a little scared for a minute there that I was just spouting off. No, I think that's a, a great illustration. 27, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. The guy who never wears any Dodgers stuff but goes to the games and roots is way cooler than the guy who wears all the stuff but couldn't even tell you who plays for the Dodgers. Am I still carrying the... Analogy good, or did I get sideways no, I, with I it? Think it? I think it's great. In fact, I think you, you got to the heart of what this verse is saying because it, it, it reads uh, that that Dodger fan will condemn you. Um, and, and I mean, this what it literally says, you know, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. But it doesn't even need to be... You know, we're, we're thinking like, well, condemnation from this person, what does that matter? But it's a, it's like they're showing you up. Like yeah. They're actually doing what you claim to be doing. and What you look like you should be doing. Yeah, and, and obviously that, you know, that, condemn, that condemnation or that judgment, uh, who, who it comes from and, and in what form, uh, that can mean many things. But yeah, they're, they're eating your lunch. It's like that doing 90 down the freeway, weaving in and out of traffic with that fish on the back of your car, mm. cutting off the little old lady who doesn't have anything on the back of her car. It's kind of that thing. It's not exactly that thing, but it's kind of that thing. Verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And I think there's a correlation, especially for those of us that are listening, or in my case speaking, who happen to be Gentiles. I think there's a correlation here where you could replace Jew, and I'm not one for taking things out of Scripture, no. adding things to Scripture, but I think for application purposes, you could replace Jew with Christian Thank or you. believer or Protestant or Catholic or whatever you want to use. I thought the same exact thing. But yeah, a person is not a Christian who is one outwardly, nor is being a Christian merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Christian who is one inwardly. And the outward parts of a Christian, being a Christian are indications of the inward of the heart by the Spirit. N- not because you carry a Bible. Because you wear a cross. Or you wear a cross or you have a fish on the back of your car. Such a person's praise is not from other people but from God. So much of this where Paul's calling out Jews, he's really calling us out. I, I feel that as a Gentile also, um, I mean this this is this should be beautiful. I, I see this as beautiful 
when you replace Christian there, like that's like, it's tough, but it's truth. I mean, that's how the, that is how we're supposed to be living. That is the goal. The bar is very high, people. It is. It's it's higher than I'd like it to be. To be honest, I I wish some of this stuff was easier and lighter than it is. Um, but let's make no mistake. It's truth. Paul's calling everybody out to try and level the field. He's trying to get us all to a point of, you have a need for something more than yourself. Whether you identify as a Jew and a keeper of the law and a follower of the law on some level, or you identify as a Gentile who came to Christ just out of total depravity, we all need to come to Christ because we've all fallen short. And we're going to continue to fall short. But it's what do we do with that? Do we continue to come back to him and to seek him and understand that he made a sacrifice for us to draw us to him? You know, the I've said this several times, and it may be the first time you've heard it here, but the most overplayed verse in all of Christianity is John 3.16. We've all heard it. But... It's so central to our faith that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but to have eternal life. And then verse 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All of this is not just to point out how bad we are and leave us there. Unfortunately, it's where chapter two is going to leave, but it gets better. There's way more chapters ahead. And it's setting this up of God didn't do all this so that we'd feel bad about who we are. We feel bad about who we are because it separates us from God. But the good news is, is that through Jesus and through faith in him, it's where we're going to get to in chapter four and even into chapter five. It's faith that reconciles us with God. So exciting. It's, yeah. it's good stuff. And I, I'm excited to move forward in this book to get over the hump of chapter three to start to look at how good four is, um, and then into five, and eight gets really cool. Um, the whole thing is just wonderful. And, and I, again, I want to challenge you to not skip one, because they build on each other so beautifully. And so um, until next time when we get to chapter three, uh, stay blessed. <laughs>